You're listening to an extra shot episode on the Project Zion podcast, a shorter episode that lets you get your Project Zion fix in between our full-length episodes. It might be shorter time-wise, but hopefully not in content. So regardless of the temperature at which you prefer your caffeine, sit back and enjoy this extra shot. This is Katie Langston. Thanks for tuning in to this Extra Shot episode on the Project Zion podcast. Uh, Today I'm going to be sharing a sermon that I preached um, back in October. It was October 2nd. Um, And it was on Luke 17, 5 through 10. Um, I'll read the text and then share the sermon. I hope you enjoy. Scripture reading for today is Luke chapter 17, Verses 5 through 10. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. The Lord replied, If you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Who among you would say to your slave who has just come in from plowing or tending sheep in the field, Come here at once and take your place at the table? Would you not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me, put on your apron, and serve me while I eat and drink. Later, you may eat and drink. Do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, We are worthless slaves. We have done only what we ought to have done. For the past ten years, I've worked in marketing. I actually don't love marketing all that much. I mean, I enjoy it, but it's not my life's passion, you know? But there's something kind of comforting about it. It's quantifiable. You can wrap your head around it, like an input-output sort of thing. Run a campaign, measure the results, calculate the ROI, rinse, repeat. In the performance-driven culture of the American workplace, metrics really matter. Set SMART goals, they tell us. Specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, time-based, smart. In fact, they say it's not really even a goal until you can quantify the outcome. Don't just tell yourself you're going to make more widgets. Say you're going to increase widget production by 15% in the next three months. That's specific. That's motivating. That's the sort of thing that'll get you results. In today's Gospel reading... It's kind of like Jesus is the world's most demanding corporate manager. Right before our reading picks up, Jesus gives the disciples one heck of a smart goal. Be on your guard, he says. If another disciple sins, you must rebuke the offender, and if there is repentance, you must forgive. And if the same person sins against you seven times a day, and turns back to you seven times a day and says, I repent, you must forgive. Seven times a day? I I feel like it's a huge accomplishment if I can forgive that one dude who cut me off in traffic. And like, this isn't the first time in Luke that Jesus gives insanely difficult smart goals. Apparently, it's like one of his key performance strategies as a leader. Like, the time he tells the crowds that whoever does not reject their families cannot be his disciple. 
or that you can't be his disciple if you don't carry the cross or or get this one. You have to literally give up all your possessions to be his disciple. No, no, it really says that in Luke 14, 33. None of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. All of them. Actually, that's moving away from smart goal territory and veering into crazy pants goal territory. That's like asking the boss, how many widgets do we need to make? And hearing him answer back, all of them. So I can totally understand the disciples' response to Jesus. In the face of these spectacularly difficult requirements, they say, perhaps exasperated, well then, Lord, increase our faith, right? Because what else is there to say? It's like if my boss came to me and told me we suddenly needed to start making all the widgets, I'm pretty sure my first response would be, well then, boss, increase our budget. Because let's be realistic. We're doing the best we can. And most days, it's all we can do to forgive the guy in traffic or put a few dollars in the offering plate. Let alone forgive seven times a day. Let alone pick up our cross or give up all of our possessions. But to hear Jesus tell it, what we've done so far isn't getting it done. We're not hitting our numbers, meeting our metrics. So what we need, obviously, is more. More resources. More capacity. More strength, more grit, more faith. And this is where things get really messy. Because if Jesus were following corporate management best practices, when the disciples asked for more faith, Jesus would have called a meeting, done a needs assessment, listened carefully, and responded using positive, blame-free I statements before quantifying exactly what kind of faith increase he'd grant. You could even picture it. Uh, Let's see, right now you're forgiving three times a day. This means you need a faith increase of 233% to meet your forgiveness quota. But instead, Jesus does the very opposite. First, he sort of shames the disciples, telling them that they don't need more faith, that their request is unnecessary. If you had the faith the size of a mustard seed, he says... You could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Then he tells this bizarre parable that is honestly pretty offensive about a slave who spends all day working in the field and then is commanded to come in and prepare supper. Do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded, Jesus asks? So also you, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, say we are worthless slaves. We have done only what we ought to have done. Worthless. Ouch. Some translations of the text say unprofitable. I got to tell you, if that were a staff meeting, telling the team that their request for more resources is unnecessary and that you're not even going to thank them because their work isn't profitable anyway would not have been very effective at boosting morale. So this text is a puzzler. Honestly, it's the exact opposite of everything I've ever learned about business and metrics and organizational strategy. He refuses to heed the disciples' plea for more and better resources, telling them, well, I don't know, maybe telling them that they already have everything they need. 
You see, elsewhere in Luke, just as Jesus makes unexpectedly huge demands on his followers, so also he tells unexpected people that their faith has saved them. In a commentary on today's Gospel reading, Dr. Lois Malcolm points out, Throughout Luke, those we least expect to have faith are often held up as exemplars of it. When a woman, a so-called sinner, pours ointment and kisses Jesus' feet, to the consternation of Pharisees, Jesus not only forgives her sins, but also says, Your faith has saved you. He says the same thing to the following individuals a blind beggar who wants to see again, a Samaritan leper who comes back to thank him after he has been healed, and a woman who touches him in order to be healed of hemorrhages. Moreover, when a Roman centurion goes to great lengths to have him heal a trusted servant, Jesus exclaims, Not even in Israel have I found such faith. I think sometimes we get stuck in the temptation to quantify and by extension, control. After all, isn't that what smart goals are really all about? Doing things in such a way that we can ensure, or at least pretend to ensure, a given outcome? It just feels like the disciples are us in our little cubicles, trying to calculate exactly what precise measure of faith we need in order to produce the right outputs to gain what? Forgiveness? Acceptance? The kingdom of God? Release from sin, from shame, from fear? As if that's something we can do in the first place. Meanwhile, the people whom Jesus praises for their saving faith are the people on the margins, without resources to begin with, outsiders and outcasts who recognize that Jesus is their only hope. Maybe what Jesus is telling us here is that it's not so much about how much faith we have, but in whom it's placed. Because really, Jesus is a terrible businessman. His idea of a good deal is to take all our weakness, all our sin, all our suffering, and exchange it for God's freedom, forgiveness, and life. And in the end, as Christ's life works in us and changes us, Christ makes the impossible possible. Where before we couldn't forgive, perhaps now we can. Where before we hoarded our possessions, perhaps now we can give them away. Where before we could scarcely find the will to get up in the morning, perhaps we discover the strength to take up our crosses Because Christ is walking alongside us every step of the way. When we stop trying so hard to earn everything, we find ourselves swimming in grace. First century conventions of slavery are extremely problematic from our modern perspective, and rightly so. But perhaps at the heart of that strange and offensive little parable is acknowledgement that our transformation isn't about a balance sheet. For we are totally dependent on God. We are owed nothing, literally unprofitable. Yet we are given everything anyway. Yes, as comforting and reliable as metrics and smart goals may be, I think it's safe to say that none of this is about that. 
that God's calculations look nothing like ours. And thank God for that. For in God's way of balancing the books, it's a new world, a new hope, a new life. For all of us. The views expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official views of the Latter-day Seekers team or of Community of Christ. The music has been provided by Ben Howington. You can find his music at mormonguitar.com. Mormon Guitar